It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. We have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. There's not many teams at the beginning of the year that can say that. We have a chance to, and and it's got to be on us to make that happen. You're listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. This is our opportunity. Our time is, is now. Our window is now. 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 It's played back to the line. McKinnon covering at the point. Now works in. Pass for Landis Cog. Back to McKinnon. Burns a tied up rim. And swipe to McCarr. Shot. Deflected. Yeah, you know what? I think we're fine. I mean, it's early in the playoffs. We've got a long road left to go. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's... I'm not concerned about our energy. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. I'm your host, Ted Ramey. Remember, new episodes drop the morning after every single Sharks playoff game. And, of course, this morning we are reacting to last night's 3 nothing loss at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche to level the series at two games apiece. And, unfortunately, it's a case, a rare instance, of me being right about something. My take was that the Sharks were going to lose this game because they would be a little bit fatigued. And i got to be honest, they did not look as physically fatigued as I expected them to be but I did think they looked mentally fatigued. I think there was a lack of crispness. I think there was a lack of overall polished nature that we had seen in previous versions of this team, and that is to be expected because this is the Stanley Cup playoffs. You're playing at elevation. It is not easy. It is going to be a grind. It is going to be a battle every single game, and let's be honest, the Colorado Avalanche They knew they were up against it. They knew that if they fell behind three games to one against this San Jose team, that it was going to be over back on home ice for the Sharks Saturday night for game five. So you had a couple things going against you. One, the Sharks fatigued at altitude. Second, you had the Avs. They were playing for their playoff lives in essence because they knew it probably wouldn't go past game five if they fell back 3-1. And the next one is that you're really feeling the absence of Joe Pavelski. Now we've had games... Game one, Jumbo and his line stepped up. Game three, Logan Couture played out of his mind. You feel the absence of Joe Pavelski. And by the way, in case you are wondering, we did get an update on Joe Pavelski from head coach Peter DeBoer two days ago. He's getting better every day. You know, he was he was FaceTiming us after the game last night, so he's he's feeling better. I, I think we're all excited about the progress he's making. So, you know, I, w- I wouldn't say he's not going to be available, no. Has he been on the ice at all? I think he was supposed to skate today. So there is hope that Joe Pavelski will be back on the ice at some point, but right now that seems like a bit of a far-off pipe dream at this point to think that he'll be ready before this series is over. But you do feel him in games like this, especially with Colorado really tightening up. And just the fact that no one else for the Sharks stepped up to be the big-time playmaker that we've seen in some of these other games. You had Jumbo and his line step up, like I alluded to. You had Logan Couture step up. 
You know that Hurdle and Timo are trying to break through, but it just didn't happen for the Sharks in Game 4 last night. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not being overly critical here. I'm not saying that somebody didn't step up. I keep on coming back to the fact that this is the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's not easy. Every night, there is not going to be a hero. Every night, there's not going to be somebody to step up and go out of their minds and have some magic moment. It's hard to do that. It's hard to eliminate a team. It's hard to beat the Avs on their home ice in Game 4 of a best-of-seven series when they are used to playing that at that elevation. And they have things and fans and the strength to draw upon in that situation that the Sharks don't. That said, I 100% expect the Sharks to go home Saturday night, Game 5, and take a 3-2 series advantage. Now, at that point, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Colorado might be too beat up. They might be too mentally defeated after that. They might not have much fight in Game 6. I don't know. The Sharks might smell blood in the water and be able to take care of business by the time Game 6 is done. I have no clue, honestly. But the real expectation for the Sharks beyond them winning Game number 5 is that I expect them to win the remaining home games if that's how many games that it takes. You win Game 5. You win Game 7, and then you advance to the Western Conference Finals, and you're on the doorstep of making it to the Stanley Cup Final. All the Sharks need to do now is win the remainder of these games on home ice. It sounds easy, but to me, that is the path with the greatest rate of success for them to get to the Western Conference Finals. Again, you are listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks, which comes out every morning after Sharks playoff games. I'm going back over my notes right now from each period. I look at the first period, uh, a lot of blocked shots from the Sharks. It was a really weird period. There were no penalties. It was light on the whistles. There was a lot of talk about the Avs adjustments for the fact that the team needed to, you know, have to do more of their game and be able to take it into the zone. Instead, the Sharks have been forcing them to dump it deep and try to go chase it down. And I didn't see a lot of change of that. And I thought overall the Sharks were better in the first period because it was San Jose not relenting. They did not give up the first goal in that first period. And to me, it had almost that heavyweight feel to it. Two teams feeling it out early. And there was nothing that really deviated from that overall feel. The first period was definitely two teams just testing each other out, seeing where it would go. But to me, the the big stops by Jones in the second period, a big penalty kill for the Sharks after a weak hooking penalty, in my opinion. I thought Vlasic was coming up big. That, to me, was where things were just looking like it was going in the Sharks' favor, or even more so when they went on the power play. And then you had the non-call on Carlson that was tripping that led to a penalty for hooking, and that just took away the power play for the Sharks. And that, to me, was the play that potentially changed the game. Listen, I'm not going to go out here and blame the officials and the Sharks. If they want to win a series, they need to play so well that it's not on the officials to be the difference maker in the series. But to me, that was one that had the potential to change the game. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that it did change the game, but I like to think that the Sharks had been getting the momentum swinging in their favor and would have been able to take advantage, but it didn't. But it still led to some huge stops from Jones. I thought that he was huge in that first period. And on both the goals he gave up, there was nothing he could really do. But more than that, I just want to talk about how much fun that second period was. It was wide open, and it was end-to-end. And I think anybody that tuned into that game, if they have not been watching uh, a lot of Western Conference hockey all year long, which is 
often the case I see when I watch a lot of uh, national coverage. That, to me, was just brilliant playoff hockey because you saw speed on display. You saw skill on display. You saw grit. You saw the best of both teams just going back and forth. You saw Grubauer making great stops. You saw Jones making great stops. Like I said, the one that got passed, I was not going to put that on Jones. It was a great effort by McKinnon and just a lot of action up front, and sometimes that's the way it's going to go. And that, to me, that's just the way the Stanley Cup playoffs go. Sometimes you're going to see that one team get the advantage. You get a little puck luck. Sometimes it goes your way. Sometimes it doesn't. But more than anything else, it was just an unbelievably fun period of hockey to watch. And yes, the Abs came out with a one nothing lead after that, but... To me, the Sharks were still right there in it. Now, you go into the third period. I thought the Sharks had their chance of power play entering the third period. It just looked weak. And the Sharks' power play, for whatever reason, they have not had a good time adjusting to the penalty kill from the Avs. It's looked bad for the last couple of games. And that's something that is going to need to change over the course of game number four to game number five. If the Sharks can get their power play rolling, then really the entire dynamic of the series changes. And, of course, that's also completely dependent on whether or not Joe Pavelski is back. And listen, I'm not expecting him back before this series ends, and I don't know if that's accurate or not. That's just my sense of the situation. But when I watch the Sharks on the power play and they don't have Joe Pavelski, it's a different look. And I think that that's something that's maybe being ignored. People are saying the power play doesn't look the same. Well, of course, they don't have Joe Pavelski out there. What do you expect? Now, you look ahead to game number five, and you say, okay, Grubauer won this one for the Avs in game number four, and I see no reason why Jones can't win one for the Sharks in game number five. Martin Jones has been absolutely phenomenal over the past couple of games for the Sharks. He's been a monster. He deserved more support from the Sharks last night. He deserved more support from the Sharks in game number two, but listen, they're going up against a very good goalkeeper themselves in Grubauer, and now it's time for the Sharks to give Jones that support when they get back on home ice. You set yourself up nicely for Game 6 and or Game 7, but Martin Jones is playing at an exceptionally high level. He gave up two goals, 25 saves. He had a 926 save percentage. There's nothing wrong with those stats. Martin Jones, going back to Game 5 or Game 6, whichever one you want to qualify as the one where his, you know, really just net-minding changed since then. He's been a different guy. He's been phenomenal. I didn't see anything wrong with the way he played tonight. He just didn't get the support. And sometimes that's the way it goes in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Because again, on the other end, Grubauer was playing out of his mind as well. He made some huge stops. And the Sharks are going to have to make that adjustment ahead of game number five. Try to figure out how to create more shots. Try to figure out how to create better looks. And see how they can get past Grubauer. Listen, there was a scatter report on Fleury. There's a scatter report on Grubauer. It might have to be adjusted. It might have to be changed, but they are going to find ways to score. Grubauer is not going to be perfect throughout the remainder of this series, and I 100% expect the Sharks to be able to put pucks in the back of the net when they get back on home ice Saturday night at SAP Center. But Saturday night does feel like a long ways away until that moment. So to keep you entertained, we are now joined by the one and only Curtis Brown. Of course, you remember him from his playing days with the San Jose Sharks, the Sabres, among others. And now, of course, he kills it alongside Brody Brazil, hosting NBC Sports California Sharks pre- and post-game coverage. Curtis, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Well, just knee-deep in the playoffs run here with the Sharks and obviously trying to ride this thing out and uh, excited for the next game. Yeah, man, it's going to be a good one. And my overall take, 
um, the 30,000-foot view, as I'll put it, is what the Sharks need to do now is just win their remaining home games. I would love for them to finish it in six, but the way that the elevation is a factor, I just think, hey, you've got two more home games. Just take care of business on home ice. Yeah, well, I think, speaking from experience, you know, the only people that probably start breaking things down that way is everybody but those involved in the series. It's amazing (laughs) because I remember as a player, you just took it day by day. And when you start to feel it in the way that these teams are both feeling it, because now the series decided too in the next game, they're not even thinking about anything done that. Yeah. From your experience, Curtis, what was playing at elevation like? Well, you know what? To be honest, we didn't even uh, think about it. You went out. You prepared the same way. Uh, the only thing that you were cognizant of was – if possible, do not get caught out on extended shifts for no reason. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can do that is you're going to have to be super smart, make sure pucks get out when they need to get out of your zone, make sure pucks get all the way deep into the ab zone so you can make full changes. I think the biggest thing is as you get on with the series, as you get on with the game, and as you get on – with your shift length, the thing that happens is it's tougher to recover. Yeah. So I've noticed a couple different times, whether it's the Avs or the Sharks, in the second period with that long change, guys get caught out there, and that is a tough recovery. Not just that you get out of that shift minimizing damage, but ultimately preparing for your next shift. Yeah, and tonight we saw that I think the stat I saw come up in the second period was that you know, 12 guys for the Sharks were averaging shifts of 40 seconds or less, and that oftentimes they were initiating the changes themselves. Were, was that the right way to play it? Is 40 seconds about the max that you think these guys can go, or is that just uh, a way to time it so that they make sure they've got something in the tank when you got later into the game and into the third period? Well, I think more than shift length, it is actually what's going on during the shift. I I can appreciate cats and I can appreciate, you know, a number that might come down in terms of shift length. And people can say, well, that's because of the elevation. But I think there's the proper time to change. Obviously, if you're down in the opponent zone and you're forcing them offensively, your shift could be extended. I think if you've had a tough shift and you're just trying to get out of your zone and all you can do is basically get it deep and change, well, then obviously that shift maybe wasn't as productive, but on the sats, looks like you were being smart when really you were just not getting that much accomplished. Again, we're talking to Curtis Brown right here on Morning Tide, the San Jose Sharks officially, the official morning show podcast here that drops every morning after Sharks playoff games. Um, speaking of this one specifically, I know uh, a series or sequence events that a lot of people are talking about was the Sharks go on the power play in the second period. It looks like there is a tripping on Eric Carlson. That doesn't get called. And then suddenly there is a hooking penalty that is called that erases the Sharks' power play. What was your interpretation of that sequence of events? And, you know, in terms of people putting too much blame on the officials, I'm not one of those. My whole take is if you leave it to the hands of the officials, that's on you in the first place. But what was your what was your take on that sequence? Well, obviously I'm a Sharks fan, so <laughs> I wanted the call. Yeah. 
Um, but you, the reality of it is at the end of the game, and I know you can say, well, that maybe changed the momentum. Or who would have known if they could have stayed on the power play? Those types of questions. Um, I look at it, and they didn't score a goal. And you're not, you're not going to win many games if you don't get anything past the opposing netminder. I thought Grubauer was a bigger factor than the referees, and I agree with you. You've got to go out there probably at the end of the seven games in a long series, everything equals out. This one's going at least six, so I trust that there's going to be calls that go both ways. Unfortunately, in the contest last night, it looked like Maybe the app's got a couple more calls, but it usually equals out. Yeah, let's talk about Grubauer for a second here because he has been just phenomenal to my eyes. And, you know, we're watching such great play, and I want to talk about Jones in a second too. But, you know, we, we talked a lot in the first period about, or in the first series, Flurry, the scouting report on him was to go up top, try and get him on high shots. Is there a specific scouting report on Grubauer? Because it seems like he has just been all over the place, whether it's high, whether it's low, whether it's you know keeping stuff outside, his push to the post is so smooth. Is there a way to get past him specifically? Well, the only guys that would know that would be the scouting report uh, that is on Grubauer and then internal inside the locker room. But for me... You know, you can have a scouting report, and that's an idea. But then the game is also what is going to dictate your next decisions, especially with the puck. So you may not even be able to go to what you think you should go to. You're going to have to make plays. That's what this game is all about. And for me, Grubauer and Jones are both do an amazing job just being athletic, reading the game making the play, uh, trying to get away from the shooters. When the team is winning, whether it's guys in front of the net, look at the second opportunities the Sharks have got. I can't count one or two. Yeah. Whereas in the games that you could get to Grubauer or go back to the first series against three, it's the second and third opportunities you're able to establish. But it's not against the goalie. It's more against the defenders. So hats off to, in this case, the Avs last night. They made it difficult on the Sharks, and the Sharks weren't able to beat them with the first opportunities and didn't get looks at second and third opportunities. Again, we're talking to Curtis Brown here on Morning Tide. On Martin Jones, he has looked to me like a completely different guy. You go back to Game 5 of the first series against Vegas, but specifically Game 6 to me was the one where his confidence kind of just exploded. He looked more aggressive in the crease. You kind of saw the fact that he you know, was under Jonathan Quick for a number of years in L.A. and was more aggressive coming out of the, uh, out of the crease, his he just seems to be tracking the puck better overall. To your eyes, Curtis, what has been the difference in Martin Jones' game compared to where he was towards the end of the year and you know where he was for the first four games of that series against Las Vegas to where he is now? Well, I think with any athlete, a lot of you know it should have come down to self belief and confidence, and that's part of the equation. The other part, when you're talking about goaltenders, and I think it's absolutely applicable with Martin Jones, is how are the guys playing in front of you? It's hard to get 
your self-belief and or confidence up when the guys in front of you are loose. And I think after the fourth game against Las Vegas, the team just came together a lot tighter in what they were trying to accomplish in front of Mark Jones. That in conjunction with him starting to believe in himself and confidence growing, I think that's been the recipe. And obviously, last night, he gave up two goals. Neither of them were his fault. No. And he was the best player for the Sharks. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, speaking to that confidence angle, was it like that for you as a player? 100%. I think some of it you got to go earn so that the coach is going to put you into certain situations. Some of it is that self-belief having done something successfully, you just expect to go do it the same way again. And it's amazing the power of, you know, your mind and the power of confidence. The more you do it repeatedly over a short period of time, um, you know, you get that belief as an individual or as a group, and it's almost like you're unstoppable. Mm -hmm. You look around the National Hockey League right now, and the team that comes to mind for me has to be Carolina. Yeah, They're just going out there. And don't tell them no, because right now in every one of their minds, they believe that they're just going to get it done. And they might not know how it's going to come down at the end of it. They just know it's going to get done. And that's what you're working to achieve individually and as a group. Uh, there's certain factors you don't know what the opposition is going to throw at you. You don't know the calls that you may or may not get from the referees. All you need to know is that whatever comes our way, we're going to have a solution, and at the end of the game, we're going to win. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, uh, you know, with Carolina, obviously, you know, they're going for the sweep and they've just been, you know, one of the great stories, if not the best stories of the postseason in terms of a, of an unexpected rise. But it was interesting watching the Sharks in the game last night to them. You know, they, it never seemed like they were out of it. It seemed like even when they were down 2 nothing late, they were still trying to create these opportunities. And you, you credit the abs. They were blocking shots and giving up their bodies. And Grubauer was making great saves. The Sharks do seem to have that mentality of where they really do never think they're out of it. I know that seems like a, a national media perspective that's played up in light of the fact that they came down from 3 nothing in Game 7 or 3-1 overall to Vegas, but the Sharks really do play like that to me. It seems like, oh, down 2 nothing. okay, we can handle this. They may not have been able to do it in Game 4, but they still played like they expected themselves to be able to come back from that 2 nothing deficit. Well, and confidence doesn't once you have that self-belief in what you're doing as a group or individually the results of the game takes care of itself so even in the interviews at the end of the game you know the sharks diagnosed what they felt they could be better at but to your point until the empty netter went in they still felt that they could come back and win that game yeah and that's something that you develop over a period of time. And some of the guys have been together a long time, so they just expect that regardless of what they go up against, they can solve the riddle and get the results they're looking for. It doesn't always happen, but just because you don't get the results doesn't mean that your confidence is shattered. 
and I would expect that they come out and play the same way Saturday. Again, we're talking to Curtis Brown here on Morning Tide, the official San Jose Sharks morning show podcast that drops every morning after each San Jose Sharks game. A lot of talk is going about the San Jose Sharks power play not looking like how we expect it to look. To me, I immediately go to the absence of Joe Pavelski. Um, you know, Peter DeBoer acknowledged that, yeah, they miss him, but he wasn't willing to acknowledge that w- it was a specific excuse. Um, is it too easy to say, yeah, they miss Pavs up front, especially, you know, down in the trenches. He's there for the tip play. He's there to get the ugly goals. Is it too easy to point to that, or is there something else uh, amiss with the power play that you're seeing? Well, I think it comes down to this. You're absolutely going to love the return of your captain and leading goal scorer when that time comes. But you still have to find a solution in his absence. And they have enough guys, enough weapons to be better than what we've seen. Mm -hmm. That's uh, non-negotiable. If I was in the locker room and I'm not, I know exactly the concern level, the way that they're looking internally, uh, going over film, whatever it is to be better. It comes down to somebody making the play when they need the play made. And it might not be scoring a goal. It could be a better pass on the entry. It could be a better uh, breakout. It could be ultimately a play for a puck retrieval in the opposition zone to extend a play when the penalty killers are tired so you can ultimately capitalize at the end of the power play. So these are all little plays within the power play that they have enough guys in that locker room right now that can step up and be the difference. Ultimately, they just weren't that difference uh, thus far in this series. And I believe they're going to have to be. Look at the Avs' second goal. It was not a thing of beauty, by no means. Mm -hmm. You can look at the Sharks' penalty kill and say, yeah, we would like it clear. But let's look at the other side of the equation. Who was in a worse situation heading into game four? Well, clearly the Colorado Avalanche. They came out, played a more desperate brand of hockey, even on that series of uh, that play when they ultimately got the goal. Wilson gets in on the forecheck, keeps the puck alive. Landis Cog keeps it in before it can go offside. Then we saw what happened. It was a mess inside the Shirk zone. Pucks bounce every which way, but ultimately the Avs found a way to punch it in over the goal line. And nobody cares how it looks. You just care that it gets done. And I think that's something that the Sharks are going to have to find out how to do uh, in the last three games. Yeah, coincidentally enough, both those goals from the Avs reminded me very much of Pavelski goals because they weren't pretty. They weren't, um, you know, particularly, you know, things of beauty. It was just hard-fought goals that were going to get in no matter what. And it does... You know, just make you realize for the Sharks that how much a difference a, a player like Pavelski can make. Um, you know, on on social media, Curtis, a lot of people were talking about the fact that the national media is talking about McKinnon. I don't really have a problem with that. I because I I really like watching McKinnon. The guy is 
fantastic to me, and his speed is so immediately evident to somebody who might not you know, watch hockey night in, night out like you or I, but, for, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs, there's a lot of first-time eyes getting in on this stuff. Do you have a problem with the national broadcast talking about a player like McKinnon as much as they do? Well, I think the people that get rubbed the wrong way isn't just about McKinnon. It's probably any player that their team is facing. So good players are going to get publicity, just like good Sharks players do as well. Yeah, I'm sure – Certain people get offended when uh, our guys get all the publicity um, when they're playing well. So as a hockey fan, I think it's great for the game that the superstars get talked about. I think that's what grows the game. That's what uh, makes places like San Jose, which was a non-traditional hockey market, a, a market where people get to know about the game get to know about the superstars, get to see different players, and then ultimately fall in love with the game. And you don't have to love the Avalanche and still appreciate a player like Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, I think if you look around the National Hockey League, there are a lot of superstars that get talked about. Um, I can see how people wanting to beat the Avs right now are tired of hearing a McKinnon. Because he is difference maker for the Avs. Yeah. In the first round series against Calgary, he was the difference. Thus far in the games that the Avs have beat the Sharks, McKinnon has been the difference. So superstars do that, and they're easy to hate if you're trying to beat their team. But I have no problem with people talking about the best players in the game. If you look about, if you look around. We talked about it on the pre- and post-show, Brody Brazil and I, and Patrick Kane, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, all comment right now on how great McKinnon is playing and what a joy it is for even those guys to watch him play. Again, we're talking to Curtis Brown right now here on Morning Tide. And just a last one for you, Curtis. I know it's been a long day for you. Is this the craziest Stanley Cup playoffs you can remember in recent memory? Well, I think every time you have teams representing, you know, the division, the conference, and then maybe ultimately winning the Stanley Cup that weren't favorites necessarily heading in, you look at it, you're like, wow, this is wild. I think for me personally, going back to my days in Buffalo, we were an eight seed and we made the Stanley Cup Finals Mm -hmm. in 1999, people would look back to that and say, wow, how did that happen? And that was probably a longer shot than what you're seeing today just because of the salary cap, the parity of the league today. And from my vantage point, any team that gets into the playoffs has a greater chance today than ever to, you know, ultimately win their conference and go deep into the playoffs. So it's been crazy because the teams typically as favorites are out, whether you're talking about Washington, you're talking about uh, maybe Pittsburgh, you're talking about teams that most recently have won the Cup. So in those respects, it's exciting, it's topsy-turvy, and it's uh, definitely going to give us some great 
hockey watching down the stretch. Well, Curtis, man, I appreciate your time as always, and you and Brody keep us all very, very entertained, and I appreciate your work there on NBC Sports California, and I hope that we can continue talking about the Sharks here on Morning Tide uh, well into uh, the month of June. All right, man? All right. That would be great. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Sharks pre- and post-host Curtis Brown from NBC Sports California. Now let's get into some of this post-game audio. Let's talk about the fact that everyone's talking about the Sharks' power play. I can't help but point out, yeah, they're missing Joe Pavelski. It's not going to be the same. Here's head coach of the Sharks, Peter DeBoer. Yeah, well, we've got to get it going. You know, it hasn't been great. So, you know, we miss Joe Pavelski, but the other guys have to find a way to get it done. And Tomas Hurdle weighed in on this as well. Yeah, for sure, yeah. We miss him overall, you know, he's our captain, our leader, you know, it's nice to always have him, but uh, for sure it's nice to have him power play because he can, you know, tip every park, you know, he know, he know where we for, for the goals, but we got a couple good up and we have to just handle a little bit better, And but, you know, it's for sure, you know, we miss a couple of guys, it's always tough, but it's for everybody in playoffs, so other guys have to step it up a little bit. Turnovers in the neutral zone, obviously a big story coming out of this one. Let's go back to Hurdle. I think uh, more us, you know, we we just turned too many pucks in neutral zone. You know, we try, you know, dangle it or a little bit soft. You know, we lost a couple of 50-50 battles and they just can't happen. You know, we have to be the heavier team, you know, and they, they've been a little bit faster and it's a pretty good job on us, but it's about us, not about them. Logan Couture on this as well. I thought we turned too, way too many pucks over, way too many. Handed them goals off turnovers um, inside of our blue line and just bad decisions with the puck. Let's go big picture, Eric Carlson. They have the, the one big line there. They're good. They're going to create stuff. Uh, I think we keep it to a limit where, you know, we can control it. They're still going to create stuff and score goals. And, uh, you know, we got to find a way around it. We still have, you know, three other lines that are going to play against other guys. And uh, we need a little bit more. Today wasn't our best effort, but... We're still right in it. Uh, just couldn't find a way to score a goal to get some momentum going, and uh, that's the way it is sometimes. We, we just got to learn from it and, and, you know, go back to San Jose and, and, you know, put up a better effort next year. And also taking it all in, head coach Peter DeBoer. You know, it was one of those games I thought uh, halfway through, you know, I, I kind of had the feeling whoever was going to score first was probably going to win. And, you know, they got the goal, they got the energy. You know, they started to grab some momentum, win a few more battles, and we were winning from that point on. Uh, but, you know, I really felt the game was kind of right there, at least uh, up until that point. Um, so, you know, missed opportunity, but we came and got our home ice advantage back, and uh, we got to go home and take care of business. And a little more from the head coach? I mean, like I said, I, I liked our first period. I thought coming into this environment against a desperate team um, that – you know, I thought if we could get through the first period, we'd be all right. And, you know, I thought that was the case. I really thought that first goal kind of, you know, swung it in their momentum. But, I mean, let's be honest, you know, I don't think anyone was thinking we were going to come here and sweep both games. And we had a chance to halfway through that game. We just didn't get it done. And also Hurdle weighing in on the overall game. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit tough game for us, but we still, we, you know, by one goal, we missed so close. You know, John Z put again great effort, just, you know, we, we just try, but we can get it out for check and kind of we just be hunting down 
couple of turnovers in neutral zone and we can we can play like that. But we did kind of our job, you know. It's two two. We got now how home advantage, so we have to just step it up and play everybody a little bit better home because we can leave Johnny like that. You know, if he scores zero goals, you know, we need we need you know more forward step it up and we get a couple of good chances last couple of games. Very great. We have to just put in because uh, you know Johnny can can be you know do everything there. Adjustments were made by the Avs, particularly the dump and chase, something commented upon first by Logan Couture and then Eric Carlson. Uh, they, they dumped it a little bit more. Um, you know, they, you knew that they they weren't happy with the, the, the amount of times they turned it over last game, and, and instead of turning it over, they dumped it, made some other decisions with the puck, and we didn't do a good enough job responding to that. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, I haven't watched the game. It uh, felt like, you know, it was a, uh, a good game from them, a, a decent game from us, and uh, you know, as the series goes on, you know, uh, teams are going to change. Uh, they're going to change things. We're going to change things. And uh, it's all about adapting. And I think today, you know, they did a better job at that. And again, uh, we just got to find a way to, you know, get one in, get something going. And, and uh, you know, again, we know what we have to do in here to be successful. And uh, that's the way we got to stick to it. And, uh, you know, nothing's going to change. We're going to move forward. And, uh, you know, you're only as good as your next game. And then let's close it out with head coach of the Avs, Jared Bednar, looking ahead to game five in San Jose Saturday night. Should be. I mean, we're excited about it. I, I'm, I'm excited to watch our team come to the rink and compete. I, I You know, like some nights we're better than others, but I, I like our guys' commitment. And, you know, they're here to play and compete and to win. And, you know, like I said, some nights you need someone to make a play and you need a save here and there. And, you know, there's nights where it goes better than others, but we're invested in what's going on. We want to keep it going. All right, that means we are looking ahead to game number five Saturday night from the tank, which means I'll be talking to you all Sunday morning, hopefully the Sharks having a 3-2 series lead. That wraps it up for this edition of Morning Tide. A big thanks to Curtis Brown for taking some time out of his busy schedule to talk with me and all of us. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. Thank you for listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. Music composed by Yogi Yen. New episodes appear each morning after Sharks playoff games on the Sharks Sharks digital Digital platforms. platforms.